Welcome to the Talking Fit Podcast, a show dedicated to helping all of you become the strongest version of yourselves in and out of the gym. We hope that today's show can help bring you one step closer to your goals with the education brought to you by our guests, crew, and community. Please don't forget to leave us a five-star review and rating wherever you find your podcasts and share the show with your friends and family. Remember that greatness comes from small beginnings. So without further ado, here we go. Welcome back to the Talking Fit Podcast. This is episode 22 and today I sit down with my good friend, coach, nutritionist, all-around good dude, James McCarthy. Now, this episode is going to come with a trigger warning. And I say that because James is going to be telling his story. And it's a story about a topic that is not often talked about. And it's something that he talks about very openly with a great deal of courage and a great deal of pride looking at where he has been and where he is now helping people with their relationship with nutrition and exercise. And that, my friends, is the subject of eating disorders and not just eating disorders, but his experience dealing with eating disorders as a man when conceptually society views eating disorders as a uniquely feminine thing and it is not. We talk very honestly and very openly about a number of different things and we both understand that even though James is the one who has experienced this and has all the nutritional qualifications, we ultimately will never be able to encapsulate the true struggle of people that suffer with eating disorders and we're not here to try and be the voice of these people. We are here to try and be allies for these people and do that by sharing James's story in the hope that it might inspire another young man or another young girl to come forward and say, hey, this is something that I am dealing with and it's not something to be ashamed of. It's something that we need to address and it's something that ultimately we have the power to do something about as professionals and I've said it once and I will say it again if you're not trying to be part of the solution you're committing to staying part of the problem so without further ado let's get into it this is James McCarthy on the Talkie Fit podcast and this is his incredible story so how are you buddy how's things how's life it's all right yeah getting on okay how's work treating you everything good um yeah it's not too bad um to be fair I'm like getting on all right with clients and stuff at the moment so i've got like a few clients i'm back training again just outside um so yeah i can't complain too much about that yeah that's awesome i mean keeping up with everything you would be doing on instagram and it really looks like you're starting to get back like, into the swing of things yeah yeah pretty much um yeah i mean i'm, I'm used to it again now i think my clients are enjoying it and stuff so yeah for sure man so i mean like essentially like I know we've been trying to get this in the books for a while but like what I want to really sort of try and talk to you about is I wanted to like essentially just talk about your personal experience with yep. dis- essentially destruct like dis- very destructive eating patterns um I think a lot of people during lockdown have been essentially in a in a time and place where they've had to like really confront their relationships with food and I think that's like a very scary thing for a lot of people and yep. like especially I think for a lot of men um, who are very uncomfortable talking about their relationship with food because, you know, in society we've kind of projected eating disorders and sort of disordered eating as a very sort of like feminine thing. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 exactly. As opposed to something that like 
affect men on a very deeply psychological level as well. And having your own personal experience, you know, with eating disorders, I just kind of wanted to give you a chance to like tell your story and just, you know, let the, let the conversation flow from there. So like, you know, tell us, tell us your story, James. Yeah, cool. Um, so it's not, it's not that exciting, but, um, so it was probably about seven around about seven years ago now. Um, I'd basically, uh, got myself I was always, I've always been like keen into sports and stuff like that but always struggled to like get what I would call lean um but I would spend every summer trying to diet myself down uh before I'd go on holiday um the one summer I did it dieted myself down always used to get like super skinny always wanting the Brad Pitt fight club look um but could never huge disconnect between being lean and being skinny um anyway I'd got myself down to this kind of like skinny weight again, um, came back and I decided this summer when I came back, I, I wanted to try and maintain where I was all year round. I didn't want to revert back and keep yo-yoing. God knows why that came into my head. Um, anyway, so I started reading around uh, a lot of forums, like bodybuilding forums and getting a little bit of knowledge on nutrition. Um, but this was just a mishmash of stuff. So nothing that was really from any credible source. Um, I was taking like sound bites and just applying it to my situation. Um, so this carried on. And then due to my work situation, I was like, I wasn't really happy with like how my life was going, what I was doing in work. I was just felt like a, a dead end job. And so it, this kind of manifested into more of like what I was doing with my nutrition and my exercise became very much a way of like me controlling something because not that my life was out of control, but it wasn't going the way I wanted. So it was, I was putting like all of my emphasis on my exercise, um, controlling my nutrition and just trying to get what I thought was leaner, but effectively I was getting like skinnier. Um, if that all makes sense. Um, and then what it probably got to its peak. I, um, I remember it was pre Christmas and I thought I'd better diet myself down because I'm going to be eating more of a Christmas time. And I remember weighing myself in on, Christmas Eve, I was nine stone three. I think that was my, my lowest. Jesus. Um, yeah, that wasn't good. Um, around that time, there were like a few things, like prominent things I was noticing. So my, uh, so you get cardiac slowdown when your body, when you're obviously like uh, in a huge energy deficit and not giving your body what it needs. Um, so that was a big sign. I think my resting heart rate was just regularly throughout the day. I could take it and it'd be around like low 30s like quite frequently it would be like 32 beats per minute and that was just a no i wasn't like i used to do a lot of cardio but i wasn't like an elite endurance athlete or anything um what else did i notice temperature i was always freezing cold um i'd get in the car whether i was in the car with like friends or family i'd have the heating on full blast windows up and it could be could be may you know i'd have like two layers on and i was still cold it would be like a sauna in there um and then the other thing was my skin was always con constantly cracking. I literally, um, I used to work in an office at the time and I would have a, like a bottle of like hand moisturizing cream. I'd probably go through a tub of that every week because my skin was just cracked. Um, Jesus Christ. You, it just, you, make, you just make it sound like you were essentially like a walking corpse. I was, I mean, uh, I was probably like, not as extreme, but like, and, and, uh, I wasn't getting paid $16 million to do it, but I probably looked like pretty close to what Christian Bale and the machinist looked like. So for those of you that have absolutely no concept of that film, because you're younger than James and I, which we begrudge incredibly stop what you were doing right now and Google Christian Bale, 
the machinist because that is a definitely a look that stays with you like that that is a very very harsh man that is a man who is like dedicated to his role yeah that was it yeah pretty much i mean one of my mates tagged me there in a thing on facebook the other day and it was about movie stars who uh, dieted down to film roles and he was like that's what you used to look like and uh, that was the thing at the time so my friends used to see me like I'd just be like running on treadmills and on exercise bikes, just doing hammering out loads of cardio. Um, they'd be like, you look like you're dying. Like literally your eyes look black. I was like, no, I'm fine. Um, my family would spot it. I was regularly told I looked like I'd come out of like, um, like a concentration camp. Um, just didn't, didn't, didn't twig with me. All I was thinking was, no, I'm just getting leaner. I'm just getting that, like that Brad Pitt fight club look, but uh, yeah, yeah, not, not quite. So, uh, would you say that you were like really just like disconnected from the reality of your situation? Like you looked in the mirror, you saw one thing, whereas the rest of the world looked at you and saw another. Yeah, hugely. Like, don't get me wrong. I didn't think I was fat, but I just thought, again, I thought I was lean. Um, I look back on photos now, like I posted these before on my social media and stuff. It's like frightening to see literally like I was like a head on a stick with like, like, you know, uh, I don't know if you do them when I was a child. I'm not good at art, but I used to draw a big head and then a stick body coming out of it. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty much me, me in real life, you know? So. Oh man. Like, and that's like, like I, I, I'm in like a very privileged position where like you've opened up to me about this before. Um, and like, this is the first time, like, I think you've really sort of like told your story in a way that like goes outside of your own social circle. Cause that's like the weird thing about social media, isn't it? Like you have yeah. your like little microcosm of followers and yeah. then you kind of like, you share that story outside and you're like, well, that's a completely different experience. Yeah. yeah like, sure. I've, I've seen the photos of you when you were like at your quote unquote, like worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, Jesus man, like, like to, to, to give people context, like I'll, when when we edit this, I'll have done like, hey, so this is Talking Thin. We're sitting down with James McCarthy, yeah, yeah. blah, 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 nutritionist, blah, blah, blah. But like, it's so incredible to see like those photos where you yeah. had like this incredibly poor relationship with your body and food and now sort of like where you are in the here and now where you're, you know, you, you work with people who are dealing with their own personal relationships with food. You're still working on your own personal relationship with food. And like, in a way, it almost, it, it, in a really sort of like backwards way to me, it almost feels like you're as close to like the alcoholic working in the liquor store. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good uh, analogy, but it? yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and like how... I just find it incredible that you've gone from that place to this place and kind of that, that's sort of like the story that I want to get into because, yeah. you know, like you, you talked about how you, the, the lower state that you got to. Yeah. And we're going to go into that just a little bit more, but one of the things that I wanted to sort of really ask you is like, as, as, as a guy, did you feel like when you had that moment of realization, when you were like, Oh God, this isn't good. Yeah. Like you couldn't come forward about it. Um, yeah. Well, it wasn't really, I didn't really have, again, like my family could see it. My friends could spot it. I didn't believe myself that I had an issue like around my food. I just, I kind of just felt, yeah, this was just, I I actually felt like I was like living normally. And I was just someone who like, like, I'd look at my family and my friends and whatever. And if they were eating takeaways, I'd almost like be frowning upon them thinking, oh, you don't give a shit about your health. Whereas really I was the one that didn't really, give a shit about my health um i mean i can remember one point um due to like what it was like my my uh, constant like cardiac slowdown i'd gone into a specialist and i had to have a, like an ecg machine plugged into me for 
24 hours. I mean, that was an experience. I remember going, I was working in an office at the time, went into the office and had all these wires like plugged in and all the, um, uh, the things to track my heart rate all through the day. And I remember yeah. my, when I went for the consultation with the guy and he's connecting this thing up to me, that was in Cardiff. I remember my biggest fear being like, does this mean I can't train tonight? And he's like, no, you can't do any exercise when this thing is on. And my, my big fear was, shit, I can't burn calories. Um, again, crazy, like crazy feeling. Yeah. And like, I, I've got no point of reference for what that's like. Like, I can't even imagine what that level of like shock and fear must have been like. Just like, oh man, like, this is really weird. This has gotten really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, I've got no qualms in saying I was going to go into a clinic at one point because like my family was so uh concerned about me and i went for like i guess it was a consultation with the specialist there um she discussed like my lifestyle what i was doing and i felt like a fraud when i was walking in there because i was like ah, oh, i'm not uh i don't look skinny enough to be in here and um that, that was the, that was the issue so in my head i again i keep going back to it but i just I, in my my head i had this lean look whereas really i was like uh like i said walking head on a stick um and that was again an, another issue for me so she said uh, asked me how much, like, what my activity levels were like. I explained that I was, like, uh, not training but exercising seven times a day. And she ran through their process of, like, trying to, like, help you. And it would be that they'd take me away from all forms of exercise. And, like, when she mentioned this, uh, the alarm bells were going off because, for me, um, exercise and, like, chronic cardio was a way of me, like, maintaining the control over where I was. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, as we both know, like exercise isn't really a driver for, for fat loss and weight loss. Like it's pretty good for maintaining it, but, but for, in my head, that was what was like kind of keeping me sane. Um, so anyway, I didn't, didn't go through with that, but as we came out of there, I remember going to pizza hut that day and getting pizza on the way back. And in my head, I was analyzing like, should I eat pizza? Should I eat pizza? Sat down eating this pizza. And it was just like guilt every like slice of pizza I was eating. I was thinking guilt and I was like, I can't wait to get back home so I can get in the gym, get on the treadmill and do like whatever hour and a half of cardio to burn this off. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is a lot to take in. So, I mean, yeah. like, so, so there are, there are a couple of like main talking points I want to focus on there. So like, first of all, like, I'm going to kind of just do this in the reverse order, but like you talked about not be, one, not being skinny enough. Yeah. To, be, to have an eating disorder yeah. and then on another point you talked about um how you you know you exercise is a way that you try to establish control and yeah. i think that like in a lot of cases and this is obviously just from my external reading yeah on the subject of eating disorders because I, I, you know I, I think it's one of those things like as a personal trainer like if you aren't actively educating yourself on this very very real thing that you are not sort of like being of service because i yep. don't think you really fully understand where that hard cutoff point is for you in terms of your professional like um your professional ability and yeah, sort of sure. like where your insurance ends like yep. you know, you're not able to sort of recognize the signs early enough to go like okay cool we need to like take this completely separate direction yeah refer out to someone else yeah exactly so i mean like the thing I want to touch on is first is that element of control, because I think a lot of people from, from like a deeply personal standpoint, and I don't know whether this is from like, whether it's something that just ends up being a response to a personal trauma, whether it is something that, you know, just becomes societally ingrained in you where you're like, Oh yeah, I'm going to try and achieve that, you know, that Brad Pitt look 
Yeah. So I need to smash myself in the gym or whether it's even just that weird sort of like social phenomenon of, um, you know, like in CrossFit, like how do you tell that was a good workout by how fucked up you are? Oh like, yeah. 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 So, I mean, when you, when you talk about trying to like have mechanisms of control with exercise, can you talk a little bit more about what like your personal experience was with that? And then also like how you personally, um, started to sort of try and deal with that as you sort of started to cycle back to a more normal style of eating. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a bit like you explained there. For me, exercise was a means to an end to burn calories um, and just trying to balance out whatever I was eating. I mean, it was a whole thing of like, it was a never ending cycle for me. So it was like um, uh, clean eating through the week, uh, which we know is again, like complete bullshit, but like it would be restricting foods, like all foods I enjoyed and then binging on the weekend and then start the cycle again. And Monday would come around and it would be slaughtering myself in the gym after work um loads and loads of cardio and then it was just literally a means to an end to just burn calories and the cycle would just keep repeating 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 um i mean i didn't just snap out of it like overnight but eventually then i tried to like get more of a balance when i started to learn more about training when i uh, eventually did my personal training certification i'm not still in a bad way then i can remember being on my um pt course and like a lot of the guys i was mates with on the course they'd be training in the uh, gym at lunchtime. And I was still going, I was going in the swimming pool to do bloody uh, hit intervals at lunchtime, coming out of there exhausted, eating a salad, and then going in the, uh, the gym and trying to do like five RM squat testing, like wondering why my legs were crumbling. Jesus. Um, so I mean, like then bring that up to more regular time. So like eventually, like it started to click in my head and like, like what I train for now is like, I've always played football, enjoyed that. So I try and, benefit like my performance on the pitch doing things i enjoy in training and like not really giving too much of a shit if i've got small biceps you know so (laughs) yeah i think that's the great big struggle like you always start thinking to yourself hey man like i really really want those big arnold schwarzenegger arms and you realize that like you're never going to (laughs) you know what i mean it's just accepting the noodle life one day at a time for me yeah yeah okay so I think like the really valuable thing for people to take away from that little segment is the fact that like when you are looking for mechanisms of control with, with anything, but especially within the context of like your diet, I think it's very, very valuable for people to realize that, well, one, there's the whole mechanical aspect of trying to burn 400 calories is a lot harder than just not eating that 400 calories in the first place. You're on a highway to nowhere trying to do that, you know? Yeah, exactly. But then equally, we're in this situation where you start telling people, oh, yeah, it's easier to just not eat. Mm. You start perpetuating that weird cycle moving forward. So I guess the big thing for me, like, and I guess I would really want to get your opinion on this, is how, how do you convey to clients from your own personal perspective and your own personal practice how to balance that relationship between controlling your intake to achieve a certain goal, whether that be muscle gain, whether that be body recomposition, or whether that just be distinct uh, weight loss. And you know, the reason I say weight loss is because we both had experiences of working with people who work within um, weight controlled sports. So, yeah. I mean, how do you go about conveying the relationship between exercise and food to a client? Yeah. So, I mean, it's obviously depending on the goal, um, that's for me is where I try and like, the groundwork in at the start when i'm working with someone and uh like 
give them the education, not bombard someone, but give them the education they need to understand that, that we're, why we're following a certain process um, and why I'm not worried about how many calories their heart rate monitor tells them they've burned in a session. Um, yeah. I mean, because again, I know clients like to look at that and go, oh, look, I've burned whatever it be, 700 calories, but um, we both know they can be, that can be quite accurate. And, and again, if you're looking at your workout as how many calories you've burned as opposed to what your body can do, then you know, you're missing the forest for the trees, really. Yeah. Totally. Uh, so again, yeah, when it comes out, like I said, I just try and put the groundwork in to start and, and lay out to the client the reasoning um, behind where I, we're doing certain things and then kind of explain the mechanisms to them, whether it be fat loss, muscle gain, and then the importance of when, it, when, it, when it's fat loss more than nutrition driving it and when it's muscle gain, a bit of both, but predominantly that we're training in the gym to drive, like signal the body for, for hypertrophy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think like one of the key things there that I would take away is the fact that like, whereas I think a lot of clients come to us and they're like, right, give me the diet plan. Like yep. what is the thing that's going to be the, the, the magic pill, the magic bullet, whatever it is, that sort of like special diet plan that's going to get yeah. them instantly ripped, just bam, straight to where they want to be. And I think one of the key things that people should take away, especially if there are any trainers that are um, listening to this is that you very much said that it's a habit and education of the client that lays the groundwork for their overall success. Yeah. And I think you'd agree with me in saying that, because I, I know that like I've read a lot of uh, Martin McDonald stuff, but you've actually been through his certification process is that it's a case of actual fundamental habits and have positive habit formation when it comes yep. to nutrition is what ultimately dict dictates success moving forward. Because when you create a diet plan for someone, or especially when we're talking about specific meal plans, people never learn how to actually eat outside of those confines. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, and then they just they just fall down because yep. they can't follow this stringent thing for the rest of their lives, and that's why I think the nutrition industry and so the fitness industry as a whole has kind of got this whole thing ass backwards, where they they they're as you said, put in the forest, uh, losing the forest for the sake of the tree. Yeah. It's a case of like, okay, cool. I need to get you shredded. Okay, yeah. But what long term impact are you having on that person's relationship with food moving yeah, forward? Yeah, psychological health, emotional health around it. Everything really comes into that. Yeah, and and don't get me wrong. Like, I'm sure Christian Bale was completely okay getting paid sixteen million dollars to yeah. you know develop an eating disorder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, like, I think people in the same way that like people have this ability to go, oh, right, so. I want to get better at swimming and Michael Phelps eats 12,000 calories a day. So that's what I should do. People oh, yeah. look, yeah. People look at people who, yep. whose entire job is being jacked yep. the whole time, like up to their gills in drugs, um, like the perfect diet, very little social contact outside of their sort of weird sphere of people who are also sort of pumped to the gills and hating their lives. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, that's what I want. Because yep. they don't see, they don't see the entirety of what that person is. They just compare themselves to what they see on Instagram, and they're like, "Okay, cool. I need to follow this booty guide. I need to follow this guy's supplement protocol. I need to follow X, Y, Z. I need to only eat chicken and broccoli. I need to do what like, you know, who whoever the hell on Instagram is doing because yep. they look awesome. 
Oh yeah, 100%. But if that's your job, if that is your job to just look awesome, you are always going to look better than someone who's got to manage a business, a family, wife, kids, stress, the car breaking down, the dog crapping in their shoes, like all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. Like when I, uh, like during consultation, I'll always assess someone, like what is the reason for their goal? Is it just because if it's pretty superficial, I mean, there's nothing wrong with just simply wanting to, someone wants to get the abs or look better or feel Man, more confident, whatever it is, but like everybody wants to look good naked. Exactly. And, that, and that's absolutely fine. But, um, it's like, and you've also got to assess like, is it a good time? Are you in a, in a, in a good place to put the work into change? So it's like, if someone's not, if they're stressed, like mad, like you said, named off a couple of things, I'm not so sure, but like, like they got the dog crapping in the shoes, but like if they've getting like five hours sleep a night, um, they're trying to like homeschool the children at the moment. Maybe now is not the like time to like put the foot on the accelerator and really try and push your fat loss. A lot of people um, make the mistake of thinking if they're not, if they want to basically, if they want to be lean, they lose weight. If they're not losing weight, then they're, they're failing. Whereas like sometimes just maintaining your weight is like a hell of a success. Like, if you could go through six months of the year, maintaining your weight, and then you maybe drop in like um, short, diet periods where you're losing weight then across the year you probably had like profound success yeah and i i always use christmas time as a perfect example of this it's like if you can come out of christmas with like a one kilo variance either way yeah you have you, you have won oh absolutely like, yeah you yeah. have won the game of client compliance like yeah. it's I, and that's the thing i always find really bonkers is the fact that people just seem to be a lot of people in our in our industry seem to just be existing and whether that's from the coach's perspective or whether that is from the client's perspective on this continual cycle of like bulk cut maintain bulk cut maintain and they never actually learn to just live their lives and auto regulate their intake of food oh definitely yeah completely agree yeah Yeah. it is it is is, i mean like so many people do it's like it's it's yo-yo dieting essentially, isn't it? And, and so many, like so many people in the fitness industry must have bad relationships, bad relationships with food, whether they want to admit it or not. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you, you, you cannot be a fully functioning human being yep. whilst being shredded to the gills yeah. all the time. Like you just can't do it. And I think that's where we start look, getting into like the concept of um, client expectation management. Yep. Where it's just a case of like, look, like you know what you you know what you want, yeah. But you, do you know why you want it? Exactly. And do you yeah. know how uh, how much suffering you're going to have to go through in order to get this thing that you want? Like yeah. maybe you do want, maybe you do need to lose thirty pounds to be shredded. Yeah. But would you be happy losing twenty and just being able to run around with your kids more, have a better sex life, like all that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're the important things. I mean, and the other thing that comes into it is like I find. I mean, you've worked with clients who've got super lean photo shoots and stuff. And I always think when someone gets to a level where they are lean for themselves, anything above that, be it five pounds, 10 pounds, they're in their head probably going to feel like they are fatter or well, they are fatter, but some people can then feel like they're fat. And because they're not at that, that super lean um, stage, I've done it yeah. myself, like dieted down and then felt like lean. And then you can, you, you just, you, you know, you know, you're not fat, but you, t- you are telling yourself, Oh yeah, I am fatter, but you've got to accept that that is perfectly fine. And there's nothing wrong with, with living like that. Yeah, for sure. Man, it's, it's such, it's such a complicated field when you start dealing with people and their relationships, because you know, like what's well, so other relationships with food, because 
people are so incredibly complex just by nature but the one thing we know for certain is that all people even the most introverted introvert yeah is a social creature by nature yeah like we're we're a species of nomadic tribes that for no other reason that we need each other whether that's to survive or just be socially sound we have to have to find each other and what is one of the great mechanisms for getting to know people food like okay. food means, yeah like food has been so incredibly like ingrained in the heart of everything that it means to be a social human that like getting into this weird place in life where we start to tell people you know carbs are bad fats are bad you need to do protein uh sparing modified fasting you need to do xyz have i told you about citrulline branched chain amino acids they're the thing like mm. we just keep finding ways to like dick around with other people's relationships with food when fundamentally like i think as coaches we need to be very aware of our own relationships with food so we can sort of lead by example but yeah. also like we need to think long term like even if a client is only with you for let's say six months and yeah. they smash their goals and that's awesome they do their photo shoot they go on that holiday they get into that dress they wear that suit whatever cool where are they three months after they leave you yeah oh absolutely that's success i mean um i've wrote about this before like succession just be like yeah the transformation photos i mean you see some like amazing ones knocked out someone gets absolutely shredded in 12 weeks and they've probably suffered like hell to do it and it's like really admirable but like i define success more like uh someone who has maybe lost some weight or got in shape or improved their health markers and then two years down the line are they still able to stay around you know i'm not saying they never regain any weight because weight regain is absolutely normal but are they allowed to are they able to stay within the realms of where they got to like, yeah. that's real success for me yeah and i think one of the key things you brought out there is like there's a natural ebb and flow to where your weight should be yeah like when we talk about weight maintenance that always exists within a range. Like yeah. I think people also get this weird perception that I need to maintain my weight by staying exactly 80.3 kilos. Uh, yeah. And if I'm not 80.3 kilos and I am failing, I'm losing muscle and becoming emaciated or I'm getting morbidly obese. There's yeah. no like, Hey, cool. Yeah. I exist somewhere between like 79 kilos on one end and 84 on the other, just like in that range. Fine. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I just, and I think, as, as you said previously, it's just about edu putting the education of the client first and sort of re making people understand that, like, it's not about the meal plan. It's not about, you know, leucine uptick, uptake. It's not about, um, oh, no, I'm 15 minutes late on my salmon and broccoli. It's, mm -hmm. hey, yeah. like, what what are we building here? Like, are we building, like, are we building something fantastic to look at? on an yep. incredibly rocky foundation that's going to collapse or are we building something that looks great on a very solid foundation because there is always going to be a difference between fantastic and great but yep. where's the trade-off exactly yeah yeah and that's the thing it's like whatever you're doing you've got to, like people look at health and like um, again this is what i've learned before is that like health isn't just uh like physical so I mean, you've got you've got your social health emotional health and you've got to take into those considerations when you're looking at your whole like fitness nutrition whatever it is so if like if your nutrition doesn't allow you to um go out and have a drink with your mates or go for dinner with your girlfriend or uh, enjoy um a birthday meal out with your family then again there's probably something wrong with that yeah for sure 
for sure and th- and that's the thing is that like your diet needs to provide you scope to enjoy your life because yeah. you're not meant to just cut calories for the rest of your life oh definitely yeah okay so i mean what i want to do now is just kind of now that we kind of laid that groundwork about sort of like where you and i both stand in terms of prioritizing like yep. education of the client I, I, something i really want to go back to just because i think it's really important is this concept of how you felt that you one weren't lean enough to view yourself as lean yep when you were having your eating disorder and also this concept that you weren't how can i put this you weren't disordered enough in terms of your eating to have an eating disorder so like you went to i mean like i was talking to um a friend of mine about this years ago and he went to um he's he's bangladeshi and he went to an eating disorder um support group because he was suffering with bulimia i'm gonna respectfully gonna leave his name out of this yeah yeah um but yeah and he was just like man it's really weird being the one bangladeshi dude surrounded by all these white women yeah 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 sure yeah that's yeah. it like stereotypically it is like it is um yeah females who suffer with anorexia or whatever i think uh, i think what i actually had was termed as anorexia nervosa i think where you're basically like over exercising um yeah. that was my way of controlling it where like i guess some people are um putting their fingers on their throat making themselves sick that never came into my head it was almost like right uh, I've eaten the cookies or I've binged on 15 cookies as it regularly was. Now I better go and slaughter myself with an hour of cardio. You know? um, that was my way. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of that concept of being lean enough, yeah. like, do, you, do you actually think there was ever a point that you could have been lean enough to stop? Or do you think it would always have just been that sort of endless chase to quote unquote, leanness yeah uh, so no i mean i i'd have probably carried on i mean i'd have just kept going as it was i mean like if you looked at my energy intake across the week as i was like binge eating i guess on my so-called cheat day on the weekend that was probably what was allowing me to like maintain i mean i was still like super light in weight but if i hadn't been doing that god knows where my weight would have ended up um but yeah, I think for me, yeah, again, you people have, whether it's watching a film uh, or going on Instagram and seeing someone who shredded on Instagram or big or jacked or for a female looking at uh, someone in a bikini who they think looks great. And then we have like an image in our head that you need to strive for that kind of look. Um, and again, for a lot of people, it's just not achievable based on what they've got going on in their life or whatever. Um, I, mean, I think I saw friend of yours, Johnny Landles, he posted up on Facebook last week about, um, I think it was Zac Efron when he appeared in Baywatch and then Zac Efron on some uh, Netflix uh, series is on now and apparently he'd been dubbed as having a dad bod. Yeah, I mean, no, I saw that as well. If they're putting that out there, I mean, like, if he's got a dad bod, then like 90% of the male population are pretty much screwed then. Yeah, no, and that's the thing. It's like the fact that they're calling him dad bod ish is just a complete insult to every dad bod out there like i would be i would be so incredibly upset if my dad bodness was compared to zach efron's that that's ridiculous like it is already it is already hard enough for those of us that have dad bods to like you know we've got to be charming we've got to be rich we've got to have a fake passport a fake job (laughs) you know what i mean but it's one yeah but it's one of those things where it's like 
if Zach Efron is now being classed as the dad bod category, that's it. Yeah. There's, there's no hope. There is absolutely exactly. no hope for any dad bodder ever. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so the next thing I'd like to sort of go on to is that concept of um, not being disordered enough yeah. to have an eating disorder. So yeah. walk me through that sort of like overall thought process. Like when you were there, you were sort of going, was it, was it a, you know, without, without bringing like a level of what could be construed as like casual misogyny into it, but was it like a, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a dude, like I'm in control of this. Mm. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I, I can be confronted before. Um, like my mates would tell me, you know, I was obsessed with what I was doing. My family would absolutely tell me, uh, I'd even, I'd put in barriers to avoid certain things. So uh, could be having a takeaway with my mates. I'd put in an excuse to avoid doing that because that would like mess up with my routine and my structure of what I was eating and the way I was exercising. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was how it was. And, and yeah, I, uh, in my head, I like, whilst people would say things, I believed that, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't like this super skinny, like anorexic looking guy. I was just pretty lean and, and, uh, looked after my my health and fitness, yeah, which was like anything but. Okay, so quick break in the middle of the podcast. Now, usually I would talk about uh, what you guys can do to help grow the show, our coaching services, James's coaching services, um, but I don't want to do that today. What I want to do is just say that if you are listening to this and you have been affected because you either know someone or are personally suffering with some form of uh, disordered eating or fully diagnosed eating disorder please do go seek professional help i don't say that with a with a deep breath at the end to sound patronizing it's because i realize that as a professional there is nothing that i can do to help and there are very few things that people who are not qualified to deal with this can actively do to help I think it's important that in an industry where we tout that there cannot be too lean of a physique, that um, you know we need to shred, shred, shred above everything else, and you can never be too skinny this, skinny that, lean this, lean that. That if we take a stand and say that leanness is not necessarily health. If you're someone who is struggling, you don't need to be ashamed. You're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. You just need help. So let people help you. Let a professional help you. And, I mean, man, I don't know if that's made any sense of whether I'm just rambling to try and make myself feel better about my professional inability to really help in a meaningful way, but I don't know, I guess... If nothing else, I hope that just hearing James's story will inspire people to go, you know, take that step to getting their lives back on track. Because, you know, I've known James for a while now and, and to listen to how he's gone from someone who is, who was, you know, anorexic to now being able to work not just with other people's food, but also with his own in a really healthy way and to make sure that people don't, you know, suffer in the way that he has 
I think that level of personal growth is just absolutely incredible and I just hope that in some way this podcast that James's work that my work can in some way help anyway so enough from me let's get back to James yeah absolutely and so um, when you came to the realization that you had a problem yeah and you know you got your official diagnosis how how did that make you feel like in terms of there are other people than your family and friends because like what like when my family say to me like oh Regan, why are you training for a powerlifting competition? I'm like, because, because I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't get it, mum and dad. You don't get it, friends. Yeah. Like people in the industry and people in your little like social circle, they get it. Yeah. But you were at a point where your specific thing, your sort of your issue, had yeah. to an extent alienated you from your friends, alienated you from your family. How did it feel to sort of like have the 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 lab the white lab coat tell yeah. you like, right, you've got an issue. Yeah, um, that was it. I, I kind of denied it, so I deny it. Um, if anyone's, anyone confronted me on it and said, oh, when are you going to do something about this? You know, you're too obsessed with your exercise. When are you going to um, start eating more? I would just be like, oh, I'm not, I, I would categorically deny that I had a problem. Like I said, yeah. when, when this woman was uh, the specialist, when I went to uh, have the consultation with her, I, I came out of there and in my head, I was like, yeah, she doesn't know what she's talking about. I mean, I think she does. You know, she's got a lot more experience than, than I did. But um, yeah, it's just that place of it's uncomfortable for someone to tell you the truth, uh, ultimately, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So was that where you sort of started to discover this, like, hey, I'm not disordered enough to have that level of diagnosis? Yeah. Um, I, think, no, I think I was walking in there and I think, I don't know, there must have been other... Um, my clients, uh, patients, I guess, in the place. And I must have spotted a couple of people who are skinny. And I would look at someone else and view them as, oh, gosh, that person is ill. They are very skinny. But yet the, the vision I'd see of myself was complete opposite to that. Yeah. And I think like, I, I, and this is kind of like the direction in which I want to take the conversation now is the fact that we seem to be existing in this world now where, one, eating disorders are becoming so much more... Um, brought to the forefront of social consciousness which is awesome because it means yep. we're, we're destigmatizing um you know these very very real and also you know without sounding douchey very common issues yeah and i think also that we're starting to make people realize that one you know eat, eating disorders themselves in terms of like you know the big three anorexia bulimia and orthorexia mm. they kind of exist within their own spectrum as well because like you know anorexia can exist on a spectrum bulimia can exist on a spectrum orthorexia can exist on a spectrum but also they then fit into this larger continuum of you know all the way over here we have disordered eating and then all the way over here we have your sort of archetypal eating disorders quote unquote how do you feel about the sort of public consciousness shift where all of this information is now being brought more to the forefront both as someone who has you know had an eating disorder as a man and is very like open and comfortable with it but also as a professional uh, i mean if things are being taught in the right way i think it's, it's excellent because again it creates awareness for, for problems that people have um so like in my view like like said like you discussed about like eating disorders or disordered eating like people think of an eating disorder as someone who is just like, like I used to be like very, very skinny, um, 
like undernourished in some way, but disordered eating could be someone who is looks perfectly like normal body weight, perfectly healthy, and but they are every weekend they are binge eating because they believe that uh, the foods that they're eating can't form a part of a, of a nutritionally balanced diet. So they feel like they are in some way cheating on their diet. Uh, and again, this is like, I think The Rock is wonderful, great guy, but he doesn't help by constantly posting up his posts of slamming down a cheat day, which is full of like pancakes, cookies, brownies, pizza, whatever else. People see him, he's in great shape, and they associate then that, oh, this is the right way to go. And it's like, absolutely not. But yeah, how good do those cookies look though? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm drooling every time I see him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's the thing is that I think like, it's really, and, and you know what, like, it's so horrible that we live in a society where, you know, men and women, you know, very much more in the forefront of, you know, social awareness, women, but also now men are starting to come forward about their own personal experiences with eating disorders, which I think is fantastic. We live in a world in which people sort of almost are, they, it's like they don't have a chance. You know yeah. what I mean? Like society tells them you need to look a certain way. You need to be a certain size. You need to have X, Y, Z in order to be attractive. So like, it's no wonder that we have so many people who experience eating disorders, especially when you look at like the impact of social media, like you can't get away. Yeah. From, like, you know, impossibly teeny waisted women in impossibly mm-hmm. small leggings or impossibly Jack dudes. Yeah with not only great genetics, but like a pharmacological history as long as my, as long as my leg, you know what I mean? Like you, you, it, and, and because there's no transparency in terms of the fact that one, this is what they do. For, they're genetically gifted anyway. Mm. This is what they do for a living. So of course, like no one goes to work and goes, man, you know what? I'm going to be the most mediocre plumber that I can be. Like if your job is to be good looking, then you are going to try and be the most good looking. Exactly. Yeah. But also just like the majority of them are pharmacologically assisted. Mm. Um, and it's just, yeah, we live in a society in which people have to deal with that on a daily basis. So it's no wonder that we see all so many people coming forward with their eating disorders. But at the same time, I can't help but feel like as, as like the risk goes up in terms of people being exposed to all this on a daily basis, like yeah. the, the cultural ability to deal with these issues and to help and be able to provide, you know, more independent cultural awareness as to how we as professionals should be acting and talking to our clients. Like you said, with the whole, let's not use the term cheat day because mm. you're not cheating on anyone. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, and people going, yeah, it's my cheat day. So it's a good thing. I'm like, mm. okay. So when in life have you ever been told, yeah, cheating's good. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. Don't cheat on tests. Don't cheat on your partner. Don't cheat at life. Don't cheat your business partners. Like it's just, it's such a weirdly perverse thing. And you know, I think that of course there is, a time and a place for just throwing caution to the wind and just being like, you know, right, I'm going to press the fucking button. I'm going out with my friends and I'm going to have the best time ever. Yeah, Eat what I want, yeah. drink what I want. Cause that's what life is. That's it. Yeah. But at the same time, I think, yeah, there is, you know, there is a scientific place for a, a structured refeed as yeah. well. But I think people have got into this weird cycle where they think that like they're prepping for the photo, the photo shoot that never is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and they're like, I need a cheat day. It's yeah. like, okay, but, let's let's just actually start looking at the language that we use with our clients let's actually start looking at like the mechanisms we start instilling in them to deal with their own personal neuroses about food mm. and i don't even think it needs to be as 
I don't think it even needs to be as like psychologically intense as all of us going out and getting qualified as counselors or whatever. It's just letting, it's, it's letting our clients know. It's just like, man, like you think you messed up on your diet. Let me tell you what happened for me this weekend. Yeah. We're, we're people too. Like yeah. we have the same level of issues that all these other people do. We're not special just because we've got the quote unquote, you know, like a clipboard, white coat, whatever it is that like people want to, you know, use as their little um, personal training totem. Like you, remember, like you remember back in the day where it was just like everyone had a clipboard. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was a thing like polo shirt tucked into the tracksuit extra medium polo shirt and you had to have the stopwatch and like the um the clipboard yeah 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 Yeah, to go full old school like i think we just need to start actively having a better conversation as professionals as to how we actively start talking to our clients but also educating them right from the jump and setting that you know that tone yeah their nutritional success oh yeah 100 percent. couldn't agree more you've just like you've nailed it right there well, I, mean, I, I think nailed it makes it sound way more concise than the sort of like spiel of words that just fell out of my, <laughs> fell out of my face. But I mean, so, I mean, I guess what I want to do is try and give people some like practical takeaways from this, both from a coach's perspective, but also from a client mm-hmm. perspective. So my question to you, James, and this one's going to be for the clients first, and then we'll talk to coaches. For clients, what is the, the number one piece of advice you would give to someone who is, you know, struggling with their personal relationship with food in the same way that the average person does what is your number one thing that you know from the get-go you would talk to them about um i mean for me it would be like looking at what if they are for example someone sees themselves as every night they are ending up after their evening meal they're going back to the kitchen and they can't resist going in looking for the kids snacks or raiding the crisps or raiding the chocolate or whatever it is i mean uh, identify like whether it just be make a food diary for yourself and look at what you're eating across the day. Um, if that doesn't highlight some things, then maybe look, for, try and get some professional help of someone who can help you. Um, also look at, cause a lot of people struggle, I think with emotional eating, which like people eat for emotions. Like, like again, I disagree when people say food is nothing but fuel. I mean, like food is to be enjoyed. Like you said before, like food is a social thing. So, but a lot of people will be, um, I know people full well that once they get stressed, they are looking for, some people will turn to a drink, other people will turn to a big family bag of crisps, something like that. Like if someone is dealing with things like that, ideally when you get to that feeling where, right, that's it, I just need to go and um, attack the snacks, just like like sit down for a minute, take a few breaths, even just put a timer on your phone for like like five minutes, wait for that time to go up and then evaluate with your thoughts. Are you still, do you still actually want that food or is it just a case of you're responding to some emotional feeling you've got? Um, I really like that. I really like the timer idea, especially because like it makes them so aware of their need to boredom eat or emotionally eat or whatever sort of is causing that trigger. Yeah. And then the other thing, I mean, again, it, it comes down to like looking at the diet as a whole. If someone, someone could start any diet and it could be too aggressive for them it may not be they may may not be balancing up their energy intake with their output and then it's causing them to overconsume because it, your body is smarter than you and like it will do certain things to get you to eat so you can rely on like motivation and willpower for a certain extent but at some point you'll be in the kitchen and you may be like 
your kids' snacks are in the cupboards and you're so hungry because you've done two weeks on this diet now and you'll end up with like over-consuming a lot more than you think. And then, then comes the guilt because you think you've messed up on your diet or whatever and the cycle can just repeat, repeat, repeat. Um, so just again, just, just going through your diet, looking at what you're doing, um, potentially asking for some help of someone if, if needs be. Okay. And yeah, yeah, mate, that was awesome. That was incredibly concise. I mean, so, and the other side for the coaches, because I think the number one issue that I think a lot of new coaches have is when that client comes to them in the consultation or whether it's, you know, a couple sessions in and they go, okay, I want you to write me a diet plan. Yeah. And it's not macros. It's they want you eat X amount of salmon at this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you go around? Yeah, exactly. So how do you go about actively dealing with that? Like actively educating and talking to your client about why we're doing things a certain way. Yeah. So again, I mean, this is something I've had quite frequently a few times over the last actually few weeks. I'll get a message off someone. So I helped one of my friends recently. He's done, he's um, done quite well with, uh, dropping some body fat over the past what 10 weeks now and then had a few uh, inquiries of people how much you charge for a diet plan and then and immediately in my response like that's probably my most hated questions of coach I'm sure you've had it about training and like it's like the first thing I'll say is kind of give you a call and explain about the service I offer and what I provide because um, for me telling giving firstly I'm not a registered dietitian so I can't actually it's like against the law for me to prescribe a diet plan. But um, I usually explain to people how I work and that I'll educate them along the way. Um, they'll have all the support they need and will ultimately get them to the goal, maybe with a few like um, mishaps along the way, but that's what I'm there to help them get, a, get across. And then I can leave them in, like my aim is to leave someone in a, in a better position than I started with them. So that's why it's again, key for me that I, coach them, educate them, and give them the tools that they can do it on their own, as opposed to me um, weeding out, like you said, how much bloody salmon and rice and broccoli they're going to eat for every meal. That's what people, people think they, people want that or think they need that, but they actually don't. They need, they need what I just discussed really, like coaching and education with some support along the way. Like I'm not against giving someone, just actually this week I gave someone, when I'm starting them off with a nutrition example of what a day could look like for them, um, they found that helpful because some people, if someone is going from eating like a pretty unnutritious diet um, based around like mostly processed foods to then like, there's nothing wrong with calorie tracking and macro tracking. Like some of my clients do it. It's absolutely great. It creates a lot of awareness, but I think people are too trigger happy to just go, right, here's your calories, here's your macros, go away, do it, um, eat whatever you want without any kind of guidelines in place around like what the, what a day and what the diet structure should look like. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I think what key point you, you make there is the set fact that people have this over reliance on prescribed calories and macros when don't get me wrong. That's really, really like that's, that's gold tier stuff. Yeah. But if we think of like, if, if we think of like, personal training sorry, personal training. if you think of nutrition and yeah. sort of building nutritional habits as um, a nutritional skills it's almost like a like a martial arts belt system like yeah. you don't jump straight to the black belt of yeah. calories and macros like there's a lot more in the way that you need mm-hmm. to focus on first because otherwise you're jumping into a situation that you are just not going to be ready with because you might very well succeed with the calories and macros but 
in the same way that people might succeed with a dietitian's diet plan yeah. if the dietitian in and of themselves is not focused on what has led to those um uh, improper behaviors or relationships with food or these you know weird concepts that we all develop around food like i know you and i were both in the um carbs of the enemy camp yeah, for yeah. long for a long time mm. like if you jump straight to that black belt level stuff you never develop that foundation exactly yeah yeah definitely 100 agree okay so i mean one last thing james so there are going to be people who are listening to this who want to invest more in terms of their nutritional education, but also um, from a professional perspective, who knows, you may have inspired someone to go, man, this James McCarthy guy, he really knows what he's on about. I want to be just like him when I grow up. Yeah. So I'm not Ronaldo. I'm not Ronaldo. Oh, you don't need to be mate. He's got weird eyebrows. Uh, you know, you know Ronaldo's God to me. So I know he is, but even you've got to admit like a man's eyebrows should not be that on fleek like i could plan a building of that man's eyebrows they are so straight yeah so i guess my real question to you james from a personal standpoint what yep. resources would you recommend people to look at if they want to start investing a little bit more in their nutritional knowledge yep so um for me i mean mnu is great that's what i learned most of my things um obviously i did the 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 course with that the year-long course um i've attended like multiple seminars through like you know, specialist um, speakers they've had come in and talk around different subjects. Um, and just, uh, just to stop you, mate, could you just quickly explain what the MNU is? Yeah, so have um, first-time listeners. Yep, so Martin McDonald, his uh, Mac Nutrition University. So you become a, it's a year-long course, and you become a MNU certified nutritionist at the end of it, um, if you complete it. But again, I wouldn't just say this is for anyone to just dive into because it's not the kind of thing you can just rock up um, just and then just get the certificate at the end of it for completing it you've got to actually invest quite a lot of time every week and then ultimately complete three exams to pass um, but certainly worth the time investment if you've got it and you'll learn a hell of a lot and from a more sort of like grassroots you know things they can actually sort of pick up on the internet for free if they're not ready to make that sort of big investment in like reskilling yeah what would you recommend um so it's like education group i mean lift the bar um they're excellent you can learn a lot through them uh, again i've been with them for years and i've been, attended so many seminars learned so much through those guys they are like second to literally none um they're, so they've been my first to go to for nutrition and training education and apart from that i mean there's other guys like like looking at precision nutrition um i've not done their course but you can go on their website and there's like stacks of great articles um again written by credible sources so they would probably be my go-to places to begin with and for those of us yep. who are incredibly lazy and want to look for resources on instagram and you know and also i, I joke about the lazy bit but also just like yep. for, for younger members of the audience who want to sort of like and also for parents who want to create you know valuable sources they can show their kids who are you know the social media generation who would you recommend following on social media for really good information uh what around nutrition? around nutrition yeah Okay, um, so for me, uh, the big ones would probably be, well, be Martin McDonald, um, Spencer Nadolsky. They would be my two go-to ones for, for like generalized nutrition. Um, also like health, because obviously Spencer is a doctor himself. Um, I'm not sure. They're my, they're my two go-to off the top of my head. I'll probably think of someone else later on when I go on my Instagram. now. just not coming to my head straight away. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I know it's all it's all good, man. I'm putting you on the spot, and we're going to have you back quite a few times, I am sure, to talk about further further developments in oh, not only your yeah. business but also just further in the conversation because it's always good to talk to professionals who actively care. Yep, sure, great. <laughs> you know what I mean. So, James, thank you so much for um, for coming on. It's been absolutely awesome, mate, to catch up with you and just sort of have you tell your story. And um, so, thank you so much for that. Where where can the people find you on all the things? Uh, so you'll find me on Instagram at what is my handle jamesmc.fitness or my business page ultimate golf fitness or you can find me on my personal Facebook page which is pretty much open for all the stalkers so and with that incredibly incredibly weird foreshadowing bombshell where we find you in a ditch somewhere yeah exactly yeah i guess some 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 mass murderer comes now and that's yeah it. but yeah my my facebook pro, uh, personal profile i post a lot of my um, business content on there some of it on my business page and then through my instagram uh, two things for me awesome james thank you so much again for sharing all of that and your insight no as uh, as a nutritional source is just always invaluable so i will i will catch you later and i will uh, i'll send all this over to you when we've edited it and made it look all sexy so thank you mate. i really appreciate yes. it all right bye bye so that my friends is james mccarthy and his incredible story um <sighs> james i can't thank you enough for the level of honesty and openness that you came into this podcast with and you know and also just the way that you present yourself on social media and to your clients i i don't tell you this enough but you are a real credit to this industry um and i'm very very honored to know you both as a colleague and as a friend um guys so you know to help spread james's message to help the show to help people who may be struggling please do like share follow Leave a five-star rating and review wherever you find your podcasts and just find a way to help. Be there for people, love people, and for you coaches that are listening, I really advise that you go give James a follow. I really, really do because his content is fantastic and how openly and passionately he speaks about this um, really does ring through in in his work and the work he does with his clients. So yeah, guys, to help support James, please do go follow him on Instagram. Please do go support him by checking out his website and sharing his stuff, liking, following, all that jazz. And um, if you're interested in any of the coaching services that I provide myself or James provides, all the links are going to be in the description box wherever you digest your podcast. So Thank you very much, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you again, James, and I will catch you guys on the next episode.